It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Another exciting episode here in the snowy Twin Cities. It's Sam Exterman, Sage Rosenfels, Sam and Sage, back with you as always on a Wednesday. Sage, I'm going to drop some bombs on you from the book Gunslinger. How does that sound? That sounds good. I have not read it yet, but uh, as you say, it sounds like my name is mentioned in there once or twice. Yeah. I've been taking people kind of through my reading experience of the book. I finished it last night, and obviously the end of the book coincides with your time in Minnesota with Brett. So you came up a few times. So we're going to have you corroborate a few things to make sure that Jeff Perlman didn't take any liberties. You are specifically quoted one time, and here's the quote. I assume you said this to somebody else in an interview or you wrote it, quote, Brett's mind goes beyond strict execution of how plays are drawn up and techniques are designed, Rosenfels, the backup, recalled. He goes by feel and creates to get what he wants instead of doing everything by the book. Most coaches cringe at that. Does that phrase or excerpt ring a bell to you? It does. I wrote that article uh, for Monday Morning Quarterback, and it ended up being in uh, Brett's uh, Sports Illustrated commemorative uh, edition. Uh, so yeah, I, I was trying trying to describe somebody who you know football is a very sort of regimented sport you know, with the X's and O's, and it's all about execution. The, the quarterback goes back and he goes through his reads, and, and I was trying to find a way to describe you know the way Brett played was not necessarily in, in that fashion, and uh, that a lot of times he, if he wanted to throw the ball to a certain player he could find a way to get them open. I mean, he would go back, and he, even, as, let's just say, Sidney Rice uh, was not open on the play, but he really wanted to get him the ball for some reason. He would, you know, do things like like pump fake or, or maybe throw it to him in the next window. As Sidney Rice is coming out of his break and there's a linebacker sitting there, he'd pump fake at the linebacker, let Sidney Rice clear him, and then throw it into the next window rather than, say, checking it down to his running back. And so, yeah, Favre had a way of creating – guys getting open and not just going back there and, and executing the offense. All right. So we've confirmed that you did indeed say that now a little later in the book, apparently there's a detail in here that says basically Brad Childress contemplate their navel sat everybody down the afternoon of Sunday, August 16th. And he said, quote, Brett's not coming. Just so all of you know, there has been a lot said and a lot of talk, but it's not happening. He's not coming. And then he came. Was there that kind of conversation where you and John David Booty and Tavares Jackson and Sean Glennon all sat in a room and basically were told he's not coming, and then he came? 
You know, to be honest, I don't remember that. I do remember the meme when uh, when Chile said he was coming. Uh, I do remember that uh, the morning of, um, you know, the infamous says uh, the white Bronco. You know, uh, I guess it wasn't white Bronco. <laughs> the helicopter the, chase. The black Tahoe or whatever it was when when Chile was driving him from the airport. But that morning, I, I do recall Childress bringing uh, Tavares and I aside. And saying that uh, maybe it was maybe Booty was there too. I can't remember, but uh, that that obviously Brett was coming in, uh, and and they were signing him. So and maybe we had one before that. I'm not sure. Uh, I do recall the next year, 2010, uh, when Brett showed up a second time. Childers asked, Childers asked me what I wanted uh, to do uh, since I wouldn't obviously be be starting or competing for the starting job again for a second year in a row. And I said, well, I'd, I'd be happy to stay here in Minnesota, uh, back up Brett again as I did in 2009. Um, I enjoyed that process last year. I think we got a good chance to you know, compete for a Super Bowl uh, if things went as they went last year. And I'd love to be a part of that team. Uh, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll think about that. And, and like about four days later, I was traded uh, <laughs> to the New York Giants. <laughs> All right. So, that, so I'm glad he asked. Yeah, <laughs> they really took that into account. So I guess we're kind of 50-50 on whether that conversation occurred. I'm, my goal here, I guess, is just to debunk the book because there are so many details that I just can't believe he actually confirmed. But looks like you quarterbacked in some sort of Brett Favre Legends game back in, I don't know what year, 2015 in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Oh, that was a that was a great time. Um, I'm not sure how you know my name got thrown on the list. It was pretty cool. You know, Craig Nall, who was one of Brett's backups in in Green Bay, was sort of Brett's backup, and then I was uh, Donovan McNabb's backup quarterback or number two quarterback for I guess what they called the uh, you know the NFL All Star team, which was a mix of players from you know different uh, de- decades. I mean, Roger Craig and and uh, Willie Galt, uh, you know, de- de- to like guys like Tory Holt, you know, were on that football team. So it was a lot of fun. It was basically seven on seven uh, in, in a sense. And we had to play at Camp Randall Stadium, which I'd never been to. Uh, you know, there was a dinner the night before, and and uh, and the game was a whole heck of a lot of fun. There was I don't know forty forty five thousand fans there, and uh, that was coming off of. Uh, the night that a lot of people remember when 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 Brett uh, we walked out to Lambeau and the place had about seventy thousand in that stadium uh, as they were I guess what retiring his number uh, or whatever and and uh, inducting him into the Packer Hall of Fame or, or whatever that was so that was a heck of a lot of fun and it was the last last uh, chance I've had to 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 talk with Brett and, and see him and talk about different things that he was doing and and uh, and throw the football around too. Sounds pretty fun. It it sounds like he's just kind of sitting at home in Mississippi and watching his daughters play volleyball and mowing his lawn and doing some hunting on his 400 acres and just laying low, enjoying life. Yeah, well, I, I don't think he's laying low. He's a guy that um, was always very active in doing things, whether it was hunting or you know doing things on his land. You know, he'd go out there and he'd have an issue with some tree or something and, and have to say knock it down and. <laughs> And tear out the roots and you know spend a half a day doing that with his tractor and you know all of his toys and so yeah he he's a guy that's not I, I promise you he's not just sitting there watching tv and and, and getting fat uh, he's always a guy that wanted to to do a lot of things uh, but he loved working on his land and, and loved being on his tractor and 
mowing his yard and, and hunting and, and being the outdoors. So I imagine he is still outdoors the majority of the day. Well, there it is. Uh, the review of Gunslinger, the remarkable, improbable, iconic life of Brett Favre with multiple cameos from none other than Sage Rosenfeld. So make sure you check that out. I would recommend it. Very good read. Today on Lockdown Vikings and Vikings-related common day news, we're going to go through a couple more player evaluations. Sage is going to tell us his opinions about the Pro Bowl, and I'm going to have a trivia question for Sage about the longest-tenured Vikings. Uh, but let's begin with the player evals. And quickly to touch on Anthony Barr, he was next in the rotation. We really talked about him quite a bit on Monday when he was brought into the Pro Bowl mix Three years under his belt, Anthony Barr. I think the big question around Barr is, do you extend a guy or do you give a guy his fifth-year option after one bad season if the first two seasons had been good? You know what I mean? So he developed this reputation as an up-and-coming linebacker, took a step back in year three. Does that undo, do you think, what he did the first two seasons? I think that's a good question that that uh, I I don't have the answer. But I don't think there's anybody we could have the answer. You know, when when you actually are in that facility, when you're in those meeting rooms on the practice field, uh, you're uh, watching the game tape. You really do have so much more information. Uh, uh, the body of work, as they say, of, of Anthony Barr. And and as we discussed, he didn't have a down year last year. It sounded like there were multiple injuries as to why his production wasn't as, as it was in previous years. So I think if it take that into account, uh, it would make sense based off of the first two years that they would give him that fifth-year option. Um, I think on top of it, you know, I believe that fifth-year option, they can give it and they can also take it away or, or, or release him uh, yes. before they actually have to pay him that fifth year. So uh, my guess is the Vikings will, will give him a fifth-year option. And we talked about this too, is that, Barr played in the most games of his career. He, he played 12, then 14, then 16 last year. But all his numbers were down with more time played. Interception numbers down, passes, defense numbers down, fumbles down, sacks, tackles. Everything was down in a greater body of work. So there's certainly reason to be concerned. And I think it would actually be encouraging if we heard that he'd been playing nicked up. If he'd been playing through injury, that might be a little more understandable you hope that he wasn't at full strength doing what he did last year. That'd certainly be an alarm set off, I think. It would be, and it's not like he's some you know, a terrible player. He is still in the Pro Bowl, and uh, he still is a, is a good football player. But I think we, we set the he set the bar uh, so high as far as expectations huh. of being, you know, possibly a great uh, linebacker and a great defender for the Vikings. And last year he was more of an average to above average defender. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like he's uh, a total failure. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get to La- Laquan Treadwell in a second. We're not, I'm not calling him a failure, but he def- definitely didn't have much of a season. And so uh, he didn't have the, the level uh, that he were, were accustomed to with Anthony Barr, and we'll, sh- we'll see uh, what happens next year. Laquan Treadwell had one more reception than I did this year. It came in the Week 9 game against Detroit. I was only active for nine games. He was scratched a couple games. He was injured a couple times. So his durability certainly a factor, but I think even more of a concern is his inability to gain separation and just get on the field. Now, Mike Zimmer has a tendency to hold back rookies and make sure they're ready before they play. The Vikings also had a number of receivers that stepped up that covered up the path for Treadwell. All that being said, when you draft a wide receiver in the first round, historically, 
you expect them to contribute, and Treadwell was not able to. That is uh, the the concern with Treadwell is that of all the NFL positions, wide receiver is the easiest to play in the first round, uh, which makes his one catch for 15 yards all the more alarming and concerning. Uh, we will see it in in, uh, in year two. Uh, the Vikings are are in desperate. They were in desperate need, and they still are in desperate need of a big time receiver who can get vertical, get down the field, and stretch defense. And uh, they were hoping Treadwell would be uh, obviously as a first round draft pick uh, the receiver they're looking for, and and he obviously was not. So you know one of his issues is he's not a super fast guy. If I recall, he didn't run uh, extremely fast at the combine. Uh, that was probably one of his biggest uh, knocks coming out of Ole Miss. But, uh, again, we will see. But after one year, one catch for 15 yards as a rookie wide receiver, in which, as I said, wide receiver is probably the easiest position to transfer from college to the NFL, that's very concerning for the Vikings. And it's a tough pill to swallow when you see Michael Thomas for New Orleans, who I believe he was drafted 47th overall. So, middle of the second round, he gets 92 receptions, 1,137 yards, and he was there for the taking if the Vikings wanted him. So when you see the other wide receivers doing what they're doing and then what Treadwell was able to do, that's all the more disappointing. And obviously it's a different team in New Orleans, different quarterback, different offensive scheme. Treadwell's health certainly cost him some opportunities, so it's a matter of being in shape, being well-conditioned, but also knowing the playbook. We're learning, and especially with Cordero Patterson, we kind of observe this, that sometimes with young receivers, they don't necessarily learn every technique perfectly when they're in college. They're able to coast on athletic ability alone. And in the NFL, you need to be precise with everything you're doing. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I mean, NFL playbooks are challenged to, <coughs> excuse me, to learn, but uh, it's not rocket science, and that, that should not be an issue at this point uh, in his career. Uh, hopefully he, he learns a little better in, in the off season, and uh, that is one thing. You, you, if you don't know what you're doing in the NFL, you don't have a absolute firm grasp of what's going on. You won't play at the at the speed uh, that that is necessary to be successful. So first and foremost, you got to know what you're doing, and secondly, you have to have the ability to uh, to, to to make it happen. You know, once you're out there, um, it, it was very disappointing that that was a name that I was very excited with when I drafted him. Because uh, you know, going into last year, all the talk was they need weapons at the wide receiver position. Uh, Rick Spielman went out and got a weapon at the wide receiver position and ended up being sort of a dud in year one. So we, we shall see in year two. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. We transition now to our Wednesday staple. It's called Sage Stories. And today, Sage, I want you to dive into your thoughts on the Pro Bowl. It's obviously coming up on Sunday. Is the Pro Bowl something that players like to get selected to? Obviously, it's an honor, but is it something they enjoy playing in? It seems like the game's gotten awfully lackluster in recent years. Not a lot of effort goes into it, and it's tough to play football at half speed. Do you think there's a way to improve it, or is this destined to be a glorified exhibition game for years to come? 
I don't think there's really a way to improve it. I mean, the players, number one, don't want to get injured. Uh, that would be sort of a horror story for the players, for the teams to have players injured. So because of that, they, they don't go full speed. And, you know, football is really only fun to watch when it's full speed. That's just sort of the nature of the game. That That's what makes it, makes it exciting. Uh, part of what makes it exciting also is a bit of the violence that's in the game. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, players are tackled hard and they're running hard. Uh, and when it's not played at full speed, it's not fun to watch. It's different than, say, the NBA All-Star game where guys can go up and do dunks and alley-oops and all types of things to make it a, a fun thing to watch. Uh, football is only fun to watch when it's full speed, uh, when it's a physical and sort of violent game. Uh, and uh, when it's not, uh, there, there's sort of no point. And, uh, yeah, I'd be more than happy to never watch. I, I don't watch the Pro Bowl. Uh, occasionally I'll run the highlights just because I'm watching Sports Center the next day, but I have really no interest in the Pro Bowl. But yet somehow it gets, you know, pretty dang good ratings uh, every single year, no matter how bad it is. It still gets pretty good ratings, and it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a joke. It seems like amongst the players uh, when you're watching sort of goofing around out there. Uh, I do know that you know players like Peyton Manning always played in the Pro Bowl. Drew Brees uh, almost always plays in the Pro Bowl. You know, when he gets uh, selected into it, you know, Tom Brady never does. Uh, so I think some players take it seriously in a sense it's, it's a part of their uh, sort of giving back to the NFL uh, uh, to sort of, you know, highlight the best players uh, in the league. And, and yeah, I think the young guys really like it, guys who've been selected to their first, uh, you know, Pro Bowl, maybe second Pro Bowl. Uh, they're excited about it. Uh, it's, it is sort of a dream come true, I think, to be amongst all these other, you know, great players around the league. But I think for most vet- veterans, uh, they they hope to to not they hope to get selected to it uh, and then find a way to not play it. <laughs> it's humorous how much subpar football there is that a lot of people complain about, but it still draws incredible ratings. Like you said, you've got the Pro Bowl, you've got seventy eight bowl games that are played every year that I don't care about, but it seems like they still sell and they still get a lot of viewership. You've got preseason football that people moan about, and yet people still watch the preseason too. So. Football is just the quintessential product that advertisers want to be a part of, and it's always going to be a thing. And the NFL is never going to cut back on it as long as it's selling and as long as it's being watched. That's the reason why uh, they're talking about an 18-game season. There's so much money to be had there with people wanting to be a part of this this phenomenon. You are correct. Yep. If you put football on there, I mean, you put a random, uh, you know, Conference USA or MAC game on a Tuesday night, uh, people will watch. I mean, even those Thursday night games, which were, you know, for the most part, pretty terrible all year. I would say three out of four of those games were no fun to watch. They usually matched uh, teams that were, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a good game just from a setup of the two teams. And then the actual games weren't all that exciting, but yet, uh, you go back in the ratings, and I'm sure it was much better than you know NBA games that were on, or mm-hmm. sometimes even you know the uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs and World Series. Uh, so yeah, when football's on, people watch it. People are obsessed with it, uh, but it does not always mean that the product is, the product is very good. And then the Pro Bowl, uh, it's probably the worst product of the year. We'll put a wrap on the show with today's stat of the week. I'm looking at the Vikings 2016 roster by years of experience. So the question that you have to brainstorm, Sage, is next year, who is the most experienced NFL player on the Vikings roster who is under contract? That's the key. 
who is under contract, the longest-tenured NFL player. Not the longest-tenured Viking, but the longest-tenured NFL player. Um, I was thinking it's either Adrian Peterson. Um, I'm thinking Adrian Peterson. Maybe uh, Robison is a possibility. I'm trying to think of any. Oh, Joe Berger. I'm going to go ahead and say Joe Berger, if he's still under contract for next year, is the longest tenured NFL player on the Vikings. You got it. It is Joe Berger, who's got one more year on his deal. He has 12 years experience, which is two more than Adrian and Brian Robinson, who are both at 10. Obviously, Sean Hill was the longest experience, but he's not under contract. Then it was Terrence Newman. He's not under contract. And Chad Greenway, who had 11 years, is also not under contract. So Joe Berger is the grandpa of the locker room. Michigan Tech, up in the UP, engineering major at Michigan Tech. That's a good tidbit. Michigan Tech, they have good hockey there, if I recall. Didn't know they had football. I have no idea. I I was with Joe Berger way back with Nick Saban in 2005 with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, We signed him uh, week one for the practice squad, or maybe I think from somebody else's practice squad, maybe it was Carolina's. Uh, to be our, you know, backup center, swing guard center uh, player. And um, I just remember uh, I, could, I never, never knew there was a school called Michigan Tech, and it was obviously said way up in the UP, and uh, as a Division II school. And I, I believe Joe was a, made him a mechanical engineer. I can't remember which one, but definitely an engineer at that school. Very smart guy, been around a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, Vikings have a history of having smart centers. You know, John Sullivan was smart, Notre Damer, and, uh, and obviously Matt Burke uh, was, was a very smart center for a long time. I'm sure, I'm sure the previous ones uh, were as well. Matt Burke, a Harvard grad, and so is Nick Easton, their other center option. He's a Harvard guy, so you are right in that trend. That's the show for the day. We covered a lot of ground. We covered Gunslinger, Pro Bowl Talks, Stats of the Week, Player Evals. You can also hear Sage on Locked on Texans this week, a two-episode special with Robert Land and Sage Rosenfels. He'll be back on Locked on Vikings on Friday to, I don't know, preview the Pro Bowl. We'll have to figure out what to do without a, a real game to preview. But we have time. I'll be back tomorrow, maybe some Senior Bowl talk. Uh, we'll maybe do a top 10 list. But he's Sage. I'm Sam. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. You can advertise on the show by emailing me, LockedOnVikings at gmail.com. It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.